0: network
1: you're listening to the umami podcast conversations with producers purveyors and scholars exploring food choices we make as a culture i'm elise ballard and i'm here with my friend and co-host chris feifle thanks for being here
0: really elise Do you know what you want to talk about on this episode?
1: Yeah. I want to revisit that conversation we had with Mariah Kamita. I love that conversation. It was so good. It was about this time last year. So it's just about the right time to let it go out into the world.
0: Well, uh, tell me a little bit about Mashiko.
1: Mashiko is Mariah's restaurant, West Seattle location. Uh, been around since 1994. Remarkable yeah. for a sushi restaurant that in 2009 proclaimed that they would only sell sustainable seafood choices. Obviously, those same choices back then would not be the ones that are made now.
0: Well, isn't that the shifting sandbar to use a mm. pun and talking about seafood? I also don't know if you know or anybody listening, there's... 3 billion people that depend on seafood a year for nutrition and their diet. And there's 0.5 billion pounds lifted out of the ocean every day just as a harvest. I mean, this is the biggest.
1: Staggering. So
0: how how do you think she navigates that kind of those kind of waters?
1: Well, I mean, very carefully (laughs) and with a ton of research. Wow. she. They change up their menu every day, and it is based on what's available seasonally. Because even with farmed fish, there is a season, of course. Um, So she does a lot of research. And as a result, having been doing that since at least 2009, I think earlier than that, and talking about why they do it and explaining it to her customers and educating her suppliers and just learning, taking everything in she possibly can, she's...
0: It really is overwhelming. And that's something I was taking from the conversation with her about how nonchalantly she talked about overwhelming topics and overwhelming processes that go to support this specific restaurant. Yeah, You can extrapolate all you want out to different restaurants, but we've all eaten there and it is fantastic.
1: It's beautiful. Yeah. It gives... Seafood, the respect that it really deserves. Hello. Mariah, it's Elise here, and I have Chris. How on you doing, monkey. Mariah? Hello. It's funny, when we were brainstorming about guests for the Umami podcast, both Chris and I brought up your name separately right away. We both came to the table with, with your name I, from a point of living in the same neighborhood where your restaurant is and, and having patronized it a lot. And Chris, how do you two know each other?
0: Mariah, you want to go into that?
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. Talk about that. Oh, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> softball. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh. yeah. Playing, playing softball together. Sports, Yeah. Okay. And yes. then a pretty, a pretty good camping trip too. When we were on Lopez uh-huh. Island, where you, what you you brought, what fish did you bring there?
2: I brought a white king salmon. Yeah.
0: Mm, so nice good.
2: Big, uh, 20 pound guy. Yeah.
0: yeah. So good. <laughs> just oh, casually yeah. shows up with this insane cut.
2: Lucky <laughs> you. Wow. We ate so much food on that trip. I, I was just all nonstop eating. Like, yeah. I, okay. Well, we're going to do this. <laughs> I what... right about my comfy pants. <laughs> uh,
1: oh God. That's great.
2: Yeah. It sure was. <laughs>
1: Well, so our goal on the Umami podcast is to take a look at the very often difficult topics that surround food that we love and food traditions that we love. And I want to start by asking a a very broad question first, and that is, is sustainability still a thing in seafood?
2: I want to think it is. You know, I mean, it's hard because I'm in such, you know, my world for so long But, you know, just even going to grocery stores, I'd say like 10 years ago, there was really, you know, it was kind of just shrimp. Trying to find a product location, you know, was was really hard. You kind of had to really do some research. A lot of times it might say you know, like caught somewhere, but then produced in another, you know, country, or there's really no information. I feel like that has gotten better. You know, now there's like a couple of different options and some, you know, some say wild and you still have to obviously know. But I mean, there's our customers coming in actively, you know, stating that their reason they're here is because of our practices and, you know, they're really excited and proud and um, asking questions. So I have also seen a lot of progress and change within, you know, the seafood uh, production side, people being more transparent, um, having more knowledge of product. So, I mean, I think people kind of want it to go away, but, you know, it is a business. So if there is a market for it, which is kind of why we're doing it, creating that market. So I think so. (laughs) Okay.
1: When you say people want it to go away, what do you mean by that?
2: I would say, you know, some of the big farms, um, you know, the places that make millions of dollars off of, you know, kind of mediocre quality farming or overfishing, um, you know, high-end restaurants that want to, you know, serve people what they think is the best, you know, uh, top of the food chain, fatty fish, fatty tuna, um, you know. So, of course, they don't want someone coming in their, um, you know, fancy you know, hamakase-only restaurant and saying, I don't want any bluefin, you know. I mean, they... Some chefs might be excited and greet that with, you know, a new, you know, mind, but, you know, it's kind of might be seen as insulting, you know, disrespectful in some regards. Right. So, how, you know, how but I don't frequent those places and I'm not going to go there and try and challenge anyone. So, you know, I mean, I think that people just want the fish, the oceans to rebound and everything goes back and, you know, but I can't see that happening without change
0: yeah how do you how do you um, uh, for your restaurant make those selections and uh, do you know uh, you know like what uh, I guess research or um, or what educates you on your selection for that
2: uh, yeah a lot of internet searching yeah. <laughs> and talking to people um, you know a lot of cross-referencing there's um, a couple of sources I have that if I really aren't sure about something I can ask um, one of them is Cas Trenner and he um, is kind of the the, I don't want to say father of the movement, but he's definitely a key figure. Um, so I, you know, try not to bug him about everything, but you know, if it's something I'm really not sure about, uh, there's a couple of solid websites, you know, depending on like how known the fish is. So sometimes, you know, um, like Seafood Watch, which is an okay source, I think for, for most people. So yeah, it's it's a lot of that, you know, and then obviously working with a certain uh, set of vendors who, you know, I'll ask them all the questions, and they said, "You know, I'll get back to you." And you know, if they don't know, generally they do know nowadays. So yeah, sure. Um, kind of educating my vendors too, because of course they want to, you know, get business. Um, and they appreciate that. I I feel so. There is a lot more transparency, um, which I you know is well appreciated. So
0: I imagine but, that adjusts your menu too. Um, hmm You know, so I what mean, what you can get in is going to be uh, what you can put out
2: we literally change, we change the menu, we update it, you know, whether something's new or unavailable every single day, people ask, do you have something like, no, I'm sorry, that's out. You know, which people get frustrated sometimes. And um, so, you know, but I mean, I feel like most of our clientele are kind of used to that and we have a ton of options. So it's not like we have only eight items on our menu and one of them or two of them aren't available. So, you know, it's, I understand if maybe one person wants one particular thing, but I hope that's not why you go to a sushi bar, you know, you want right. some variety. <laughs> so,
1: have you noticed a change over time of your clientele? Have you uh started to get more and more regulars or or have has your clientele overall become more and more educated about certain things?
2: <clears throat> yeah, I mean all of those um you know, the restaurant's been around since 1994, um so it's been around well-established. There's been lots of regulars, you know, some people have kind of stayed with us throughout, you know, lots of people move or have life changes or, you know, when we went to our sustainable model in 2009, um, you know, there were some people that weren't really like pleased. Um, so, you know, there's other places that serve that and that's fine. They can go there. But a lot of the customers, you know, obviously have grown up with you know, our motto. So they are really involved, really knowledgeable, really like to find the stories about where the sourcing's from. And I mean, it definitely, you know, when I first went sustainable, I felt like a school teacher. I literally had to explain the definition of sustainable. You know, I felt like I wanted to pull down a little like, you know, old school map (laughs) thing and just get a big stick and start pointing to the, you know, like, you know, just like, I don't understand how you know, you have a phone. You can look up what that means. Like hit, <laughs> you know, pestering me. I'm trying to do stuff. But also education is super important. So, but um, now it's not really, you know, question. Some people might ask about if something's, you know, available or, you know, if it's, you know, unavailable because of, you know, sustainability or a season. But I don't really get a lot of pushback.
0: I mean, have you seen any... um anything actually start growing in population as, as we talk about sustainability or anything that went off menu and is coming back onto menu because it's starting to thrive? Has that um, ever happened? <laughs> I
2: don't, there are some things that have kind of, um, you know, obviously like way back there was a over, you know, fishing of crab, you know, and then they've regulated that. So there are things that start to regain, um, fishing methods have improved and people are starting to, you know, kind of keep habitats from being destroyed. So it's kind of create, creating rebirth and repopulation, um, off the top of my head, as far as, you know, big fisheries, I can't think of anything that, you know, I could, you know, as a success story, but there, there are little things here and there, um, but not really, <laughs> <laughs>
1: mm, Yeah. yeah, so- Given that, um, talk to us about some of the sources of your most popular items. I want to say yellowtail.
2: Yeah, yellowtail is a, you know, a fun one because, I mean, it's commonly um, ranched in Japan. You know, they use the juvenile um, and then they net them and feed them. So it's a really, you know, unsustainable, uh, you know, kind of start. And also, you know, it is a predatory fish, so requiring a lot of you know, feed Um, our fish, you know, we have um, the wild yellowtail, which is, you know, a common fish in California and and Hawaii and is regulated. So they use day boats, you know, so it's a much smaller uh, impact. Um, And, you know, we get it when they get it. So, you know, we don't have it all the time. The fish are, you know, wild. So they're generally a lot less fatty than the farm-raised, you know, kind of traditional hamachi that people are used to. Um, you know, so sometimes, you know, the belly is a little bit smaller or the quality of meats is, you know, not as firm because the fish maybe was a little weaker eating wise. Um, so, you know, it's something that, you know, we're fortunate when we have it. But, you know, again, we have so much variety.
0: Can you talk a little bit about how you got introduced? I, I know it says a, a little something on your website, but I wouldn't mind hearing uh, right from your yeah. mouth.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of just been involved in kitchens, you know, since... I needed a job um, as a kid. Um, I've always been drawn to food. And so therefore, the obvious choice was work in a restaurant so you can have food <laughs> available and learn how to make delicious items. So just kind of working my way through different kitchens. You run into people that you get along with, you work well with. You know, they become good contacts. Um, and so one of my friends I would worked with um, was working at MashaCo. She needed to find someone. She called me. I was in between kind of a my college uh I went to school for graphic design so I was kind of in between looking for that job and then you know she just said I have this job I need you to help out for like two weeks so you know Japanese food I sure I don't know anything about that I'd love to to learn something and and then that was you know 22 years ago so (laughs) a long long two weeks um (laughs) but you know I just you know fell in love with it I like you know working with my hands I like um just the variety, you know, I love cooking because it's so physical and it's, you know, kind of an art and it's, you know, just a relationship with your employees. You have this, you know, small working spot. It's, you know, it's, it's just a different kind of energy. Um, and then with, you know, the Japanese aspect, it's just, there's so many different, you know, items of learning how to, you know, prepare everything. So it's kind of just a never ending. And I mean, all cooking definitely is, but you know, with we just Always trying to find something new. It just really can't be bored, so mm. um, just kind of kept sucking me in, and you know here I am
1: <laughs> in looking through your website and your profile and things like that. Something that made me initially interested in Mashiko as a restaurant was the punk rockness of it <laughs> um Hajime seemed uh an articulate rebel of sorts and and I really liked um his words and then your path and maybe the path of of the other owners there and the other people who work there is <clears throat> alternative to what we've i guess been taught um to expect in a Japanese restaurant and oh yeah it's still absolutely precise and 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 absolutely rigorous and delicious And it's alternative. Can you say more about that?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if you ever met Hajme, but, you know, he kind of definitely summarized him quite well. He's very charismatic, you know, he's very intense. Um, he's very serious and fun. Um, so, you know, he obviously working in a, owning a restaurant in West Seattle, you know, when you hire people, it's not like you're going to get this long line of people. So, you know, he just, found someone that had a good work ethic or, you know, had a good drive, a good personality and, you know, didn't really matter what their gender was or, you know, race was. And, you know, if you kind of stuck it out and could handle his, you know, kind of intensity, um, you know, he was a really good teacher, but, um, you know, it kind of draws this certain person that kind of, you know, ex- understands the level of commitment and quality and then, you know, kind of likes the challenge, you um, And also, you know, just the refreshingness of like, is this person, you know, good at what they do? That's all that really matters. Is
0: it just occupying all of your time or just most of your time?
2: (laughs) Um, You know, it's always occupied a lot of my time, but I feel like everyone's really invested and everyone has very different strengths. So we're, you know, not all trying to solve the same problem. So I feel a lot more at ease, um, you know, because I don't have to know everything about XYZ, you know. Um, And we all, you know, we're all a bunch of weirdos. We all get along together. So um, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of both. You know, I definitely can, like, have a day off and not, like, freak out and worry that something's going to happen. Because, you know, Brandon's there and he's holding down the fort. So it's kind of, you know, nice peace of mind. So... Definitely could not do it alone <laughs> at all.
1: That's great. How difficult it must be, how complex it must be to own an independent restaurant and employ people fairly and have sustainable supplies of, of ingredients and make any money (laughs) Um, and it doesn't you know the 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 money less important just be solvent I guess Um, that that must Mm -hmm. be something that is uh, a continual struggle
2: and I mean it is really hard you know we are fortunate that we've been around for so long and that we have a pretty solid customer base Um, and also you know our our stance on sustainability and kind of work-life balance we've attracted some really good amazing talented cooks that actually have most of them run urban sous chefs or been in high-level management positions in other restaurants and just, you know, we're tired of doing that grind and um, not seeing their families or being able to start a family, um, you know, also wanting to work somewhere that they're really proud of and that they can, you know, uh, do creative things and have input. So, you know, we give our employees that, you know, resource. And so, you know, we have a guy that does ice creams and he's amazing and I have, no knowledge of what he does pretty much, you know, I could sit there and pick his brain, but that's what he does. He does it really good. I don't need to micromanage him, you know, um, you know, other guy, you know, it's actually the same guy making tofu, you know, so it's just been super blessed. Cross my fingers. Nothing happens. <laughs> um, it is hard to find good people, especially after the pandemic. We're doing something right, I suppose. Yeah, wow. <laughs> but the profit margins, yes, it is definitely with seafood, everything's going up, up, up. I can't just raise my prices as the fish goes up, but you know, it's definitely making sure that we're not, you know, really having any waste or, you know, product loss and just kind of keeping everything, you know, rotating. So, um, it is, is a tight ship, but mm. so far, uh, we've been doing well.
0: Creatively. Do you find that parameter, um, um, inspiring when you have to, uh, deal with, uh, new combinations and new, you know, uh, constructs for your menu?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's so fun. Because we're, you know, pretty, pretty small seasonal, you know, something like uh, we have a really small uh, firefly squid in the springtime that come from Japan, you know, so we get like maybe a month um, of that. Um, so you really kind of focus on that and do something fun. And then that goes away and something else comes up. Um, so it keeps things, you know, like I said, interesting. I just hate being stagnant and boring. Um, <laughs> But uh, other people might find that really kind of stressful, but I mean for me it's just been that's how kind of the seafood world is. Um so I I guess I'm just so used to it that it, it doesn't really bug me. And, you know, we were really able to kind of stay that I feel like that mindset really helped us with the pandemic because we weren't just like this is our menu items, this is what we do, and all of a sudden we don't have this food source or this you know price went up. we can't just you know what we just kind of just kept changing with what we can do and building you know up our supplies as they became more available, but um I don't think most restaurants run that way, so um
0: so going in, going into the fall uh what mm-hmm. do you what are you excited about fall winter menu uh is there a seasonal anything that shows up um oh yeah you know what do you got yeah
2: uh, right <laughs> and what's now? your least
0: busy time so i can stop by
2: <laughs> right <laughs> oh, let me look at my crystal ball here. <laughs> sometimes it's a saturday at seven o'clock sometimes it's a monday at you know 5 30 so uh, place is always um, going it's
1: always oh yeah going. and you're <laughs> always open too by the way it, it's yeah. it's amazing the hours that are you know Yeah, 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 we
2: try. Um, all right, so what do you got? Seasonal starting, maybe uh, it's been a little warm and dry, but uh, Matsutake season is right around Mm. the corner, which is the pine mushroom. Very, very uh, fortunate to be in the northwest because it it comes from around here, so um, that is a thing. Um, then around October, November, depending on the weather, uh, Uni local urchin, so we get Mm. two different kinds, we get the green little guys. And the big red ones, um, so those are those are kind of fun. Obviously, I love them. Um, those are the two like kind of stars of I think fall and and winter. And then there's you know tons of great shellfish like oysters get uh, even better. Um, you know, and then just the fish changes. The fat you know the content gets bigger, so we might get some East Coast mackerel. Um, or even like the wild yellowtail can get a little bit, a little bit heavier, you know, in the uh, the winter months. So um,
1: definitely, yeah, matsutake. Now I'm just going to talk about that for a while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, um, I remember. Uh, I think the first time I dined at Mashiko, we had abalone. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what the season is for abalone.
2: So it's actually uh, one of the farms that we use and that's in Kona over in mm. the Big Island. And um, they use a closed system. Um, so it's available. We can we pretty much just mm. we get it and then we cook it and um, kind of go through it and keep ordering from them. So, you know, it's definitely something that is on the higher price point. So I might not have it 100% of the time because um, it's not, you know, flying off the shelves. But, um, you know, we definitely have it most of the time for sure.
1: So this brings up a really good point and it's one that Mariah you brought up when I called you to talk to you about the possibility of being on on the Umami podcast and that is uh the question of uh the price that needs to be charged for food if that mm-hmm. food is sustainably sourced and if the workers who prepare it and who grow it and all of that are are paid a fair wage um, basically good, clean and fair food is, mm-hmm. cannot be cheap eats.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course there's, you know, exceptions, everything like you could, you know, right now go get, you know, f- five or 10 years of corn for, you know, dollar a piece or something or less. Um, so there are, you know, very much exceptions, um, Sometimes this year has been a kind of sad. I haven't been able to get any local smelt, but those are another item that, you know, um, because of their abundance when you do farm them or fish them, um, you know, can be a little bit, but for the most part, you know, that's not always the case. So you have, you know, the, the cost of running the, your boat, you know, I know Chris is
1: involved with the boating <laughs> and it
2: is not cheap to uh, own and operate a boat, especially a gas boat. Um <laughs> and all the permits and all the different licenses, Mm. you know, regulations they put, you know. um, And then if any kind of farming is involved, you know, if it's, if it's domestic, um, you know, it's probably a little bit better. If it's, you know, from somewhere else, you're looking at a lot of labor issues, um, you know, with uh, also wild fish, you know, uh, where it's sourced from, what country is also fairly important because there are, you know, countries that don't have the same regulations on their, their labor laws. So, they exploit people, and um, you know that cuts your costs. So, you know, there's also a uh, production problem. Whereas, like, was having a hard time with finding um, shucked or clean crab. Um, you know, we have really good crab up here in Washington. We have Dungeness. We have you know snow crab. But all the stuff that was processed or cleaned was getting shipped over to uh, you know cheaper labor countries, and then shipped back. So you have mm. product to Canada shift all the way over across the ocean cleaned and then shipped back. <laughs> and you're like, okay, wow. so you went on like a round world trip, you know, like t- that just makes no sense. Oh, control, a huge carbon yeah. footprint, you know, but it, you know, cuts their costs by, you know, a few dollars a pound. So, hmm. you know, to the consumer, that's, that's great, you know, but it is uh, one of those things where you start to go down and learn about these and it's just a little disheartening. Um <laughs> And, you know, when people get these, you know, kind of cheap um, seafood from, you know, da- various sushi bars or poke places, you know, the cost is sometimes quite low. And, you know, it's usually, you know, a reason behind it um, that people mm-hmm. don't want to know about. So, you know, it's unfortunate.
0: Right. But, and it's a turn. <laughs> yeah. Kind of turn a blind yeah. eye to it. Mm.
2: Yeah, but you know, it's it's crazy cuz you, you can go to places like Hawaii and go to a poke place and it's amazing and they're using their local ahi tuna that that is, you know, caught on the day boats and it's affordable, but that's you're in Hawaii, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We don't, and it's so we don't good.
0: have that in Washington. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is so good.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh. I am I'm baffled by the sudden popping up of poke restaurants mm-hmm. all over. It
2: is it is a, it is insane. So
1: irresponsible <laughs> it seems. Mm-hmm. But, yeah yeah yeah
2: i think people think it's healthy and uh you know it's something that people you know it's common to go to hawaii so they probably have gone there and had it and you know so it's it's easy to say right <laughs> mm. um you know it's colorful so i think that that is i definitely have not eaten any of the local chains because i definitely wouldn't. but um yeah you're not getting quality seafood generally and i can't <laughs> you know like i said exceptions out there but Sure, I would be surprised.
1: What is the percentage? I don't know. Percentage is maybe the wrong measurement, but how much is farmed versus wild?
2: Oh wow! I mean, I think it's going to really vary species to species, and overall, I wouldn't have that number. Um, you know, I feel like that changes a lot too.
0: Are there certain? But, you know, are there certain types that cannot be farmed? Um.
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, bluefin uh, up until recently was one of those where it just wouldn't survive and it closed. You know, Mm. they do they do ranching. So they might they will uh, take juvenile and then they'll put them in big ocean pens and feed them tons and tons of small fish, um, kind of quickly fatten them up. Um, But to actually like truly farm it where you, you know, hatch it and grow it. um, You know, like there is one guy who, who was like his labor of love is you know he actually did engineer it but i think the cost is still like extremely high and it's just very difficult so there are definitely a lot of fish on uh, eel and there's another one you know mm. they they um, rely on wild stock um i don't know of any true um like yellowtail farms there are some in like hawaii and obviously japan where they again draw off juvenile um and then net them so you know i don't think that that's another viable like hatching fish Um, but there are fisheries like salmon fisheries um, that can hatch Um, most of the farmed salmon I definitely would avoid there is one farm and I actually don't know if it's still um, operational but they were using a closed system so no contaminants going into you know any kind of open water source but um, their product is great they were just really hard to get and they're minimums were just really high for what we needed so and and, they're still around
0: and just to 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 clear that up am i hearing you right when they they had to have a closed system so there wouldn't be any external contaminants coming from from basically from nature
2: yeah so like any kind of you know livestock or whatnot they create a lot of waste and so if you're just kind of netting off an area of you know the ocean you're going to kill everything and all the nitrates and whatnot are going to create like a very toxic environment um and that is very unsustainable
1: to the because environment there isn't um, like an ebb and flow that is mm-hmm. okay yeah there so of... are
2: better farms like there's a pacific farms I think you call pacific wrote it down now i can't find it but they're over in baja mexico and they they farm um, striped bass and so it's ocean raised they actually hatch it um they're in a like eight miles off of an area that has a really deep um uh, what's the trench underneath it, and very high current, so they're not you know contaminating. They're keeping their waste down, um, so it's a you know really nice um, farm that's kind of doing everything right. But you know that's not always the case. So
0: sure, I mean, in certain areas just don't have the geography to be able to sustain a, a nice mm-hmm. farm or have that kind of um, flushing area. Uh, does the right. Northwest, I mean, we have a pretty big tide shift around here to, in the Puget Sound. Do we, Are there farms around here?
2: I mean, there's, of course, there's uh, Taylor shellfish. So, you know, as far as like fish farms, um, I know like, you know, you have Atlantic salmon up in D.C., mm-hmm. um, but which is not good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the local farms that I know of are, you know, like Taylor, um, different various oyster farms um, as far as, you know, just those types of of filter feeders but so a key difference is
1: is shellfish can be farmed sustainably right Right. okay definitely okay
2: so i mean it's it's something that you can um you know control water sources regulate you know keep things safe um oysters are you know great for cleaning the water you know you want to you know probably control their growth um but they are you know something that's been done for for a long time you know very successfully without you know any impact or minimal uh to the you know environment so right eat
1: your shellfish <laughs> yeah eat your shellfish yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah and and speaking of of shellfish it yeah it seems like uh you know there's 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 a there's a problem with shrimp um mm-hmm. specifically uh i know or i think i've heard that shellfish can or that that shrimp specifically can be farmed mm-hmm. well and it can be farmed harmfully mm-hmm.
2: oh yeah yeah the the shrimp that we get are um either wild gulf coast uh caught so they're these pelagic trawling so they're not uh you know disturbing any of the bottom um, and very well, they, they, have a lot of even, um, systems to have like a turtle release. Kind of looked at a picture. It looks like a little offshoot. So if a turtle gets in there, it's kind of like kicks out the side huh. so it won't, uh, get trapped in that trawl net. Um, so there is a lot of, you know, regulation and, and, um, kind of care for by, pictures.
0: care for mm-hmm. bycast, uh, bycatch. Definitely. Yeah.
2: yeah, definitely. Um, and then I don't know of any sustainable true, uh, shrimp farms like most of the like you know blue tiger uh, prawns from indonesia are using um do they farm in brackish water or even just kind of penned areas off of a lot of mangrove areas so there's large destruction of these you know very important trees hmm. um and then they just create a very toxic you know like obviously they farm them and then that kind of pond becomes polluted. So then they dig another one They just keep moving down. um, And they use a lot of uh, labor that's not, you know, well paid or paid. um, So supporting a really bad industry overall, but the, you know, wild Gulf coast great, And I do see them now, you know, which, like I said, 10 years ago, didn't see any of them. I'd have to go to like a fancy market, you know, to find something like that, not anywhere, you know, like, big chain local uh, or local, but you know not like a safeway or something like that you, but, with
0: with uh considering environmental disasters like the b p oil spill did you see any kind of um ramifications through any uh you know fukushima or b p um, you know um you know the you
2: yeah know, any of that? I'm- Didn't really, you know. Sort. I don't source a lot of fish from those areas. Of course, it is the ocean, so I know people don't talk about these things um, a lot. No, out of sight, out of mind. They're like, I also don't want to spend the money to research that, so we're just not gonna do that or uh, fund the scientists. We have more issues with like, you know, red algae blooms or you know things that just wipe out, you know, dungeness crab. And of course, those are all really well regulated, so we don't, you know, generally doesn't come to the market. you know, Tyler's Shellfish tests. They have I feel like four different locations. So they, you know, test their water, make sure you know everything is safe, and then they'll pull their oysters. You know, after those procedures. So sure, I uh, haven't really had anything thankfully.
0: <laughs> hey, did was it on your radar that like it was like five years ago all the um all the starfish in the sound just started disintegrating? Mm. And... Yeah,
2: they were like wasting syndrome.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, again, yeah, I, you know, we'd sort be people asking about that, and I'd listen to NPR, and then I was like, you don't know. <laughs> well,
0: I mean, I, I've, I've been swimming a bunch in the sound, and uh, they're, they're back as far as they're not rare to see anymore. There's a lot of, yeah. you know, big purple starfish. They look super healthy, but they did. It was bizarre because they just started disappearing, and then they were also like their structure, it seemed like it was just giving away. Um, yeah they could, were just
2: kind of like melting yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah i know it's like mm, okay that's not good hey, what's doing that oh, let's just not worry about it hope yeah. it goes away
0: okay
1: <laughs> but you um, say it's back
0: yeah i've i've i see a bunch of them out there um Yay. is yeah is there is there some sort of tie to the vibrancy in the water out here in the Northwest and and maybe reasons why you moved out here or um, is there any sort of reason why you decided to choose uh, the PNW in Seattle specifically?
2: My family did that for me, thankfully.
0: Wow. So the whole, your whole life you've been out here.
2: Uh, I moved up here from California when I was seven. My dad worked for uh, Boeing or got a job for Boeing. Um, So it went from, you know, Beachtown, California, which was awesome. And I love it, and to amazing Seattle. And I was not happy at first, but you know, I got over that pretty quick. <laughs>
1: I'm
2: gonna like, live with my grandmother. Like, no, no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> well, but yeah, no, I've just been super fortunate. You know, I've traveled here and there. I have East Coast, you know, um, kind of family friends and some Midwest. Um, and every time I come back, I'm just like, nope, this is my home. <laughs> I'm never. Never gonna live anywhere else unless it's Japan. So uh, but uh <laughs> that was gonna
0: be my my next question um is uh um if you had to go on a excellent culinary trip, um, where where would you like to travel to and experience?
2: Yeah, I mean it's so hard. I've been to Japan five times, I think. Uh and I mean it's just there's obviously it, it's just I can go there, learn so much and really come back with just so much knowledge. Um but I mean god I'd love to go to Portugal. Uh they have really good seafood as well over there. Um you know, and just anywhere really. I I honestly could probably go to any kind of coastal area and and just explore and have fun cuz there's just so many countries that people eat so much more variety and uh it's refreshing. I'm sure I know you've traveled a lot Chris so uh <laughs> I'm sure you have some stories of what people find as food.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, and everything you just said, uh, Japan was absolutely fantastic. The the one time I went there, um, one of the best uh, burritos I've ever had in my life. By the way, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they
2: they take everything they do very seriously. I would not doubt that you had the best burrito there.
0: And uh, it, that's exactly you. You just nailed it. And and with that, um, just a, I'm going to use this as a segue. Um, a real quick story. I with the work I was doing there. You know, a lot of very. Finger dexterous kind of handwork. Um, there was a language barrier, but what I loved about Japan is there wasn't a, a work observation barrier. They they would watch what my hands are doing and figure out where to where to where to jump in. Um, mm-hmm. I like learning that way too, and I imagine the dexterity it takes to make your creations and make the, these meals involves a huge amount of dexterity and also not just being told what to do, but being able to observe what's happening. Um, yeah. and then also having the right tools. I mean, I, I think I could talk to you forever about knives. I want to know all about mm-hmm. your knives, oh, yeah. but maybe, oh, yeah. you know, maybe break that down for, uh, for us a little bit of how, how you watched and learned.
2: Yeah. Um, it's different. Cause it's definitely the biggest challenge I think of, um, like being in my position now is training, you know, new sushi chefs, trying to put into words how I do what I do, you know, it's kind of, you just want to tell them, just look at it and just do what I'm doing. Um, but there's little cues that you, you know, as you look at something more, you start to see and recognize like the grains of the fish, um, you know, the texture of it by feeling it with your hands. Um, you know, it's it's a lot of motor skill, you know, kind of memory. Um, so, I mean, I've played sports since I was like three years old. Um, and so I've always been pretty good with like spatial awareness because when you play sports, that is a big key. Um, so I feel like it's been quite natural for me. Um, other people, you know, they just have different ways of learning. So whether, you know, it's just taking the repetition or, trying to verbally explain it, you know, but it's, it's a very, you know, it's a tactical, it's a, it's a physical career. So, you know, some people are okay with making mistakes and just moving on. Some people just get really focused on, you know, why they're not, you know, progressing, but, you know, it's, it's definitely seen a lot of sushi chefs, you know, go from, you know, nothing knowledge-wise to, you know, doing course meals for people, you know, doing elaborate sashimi assortments and breaking down fish. But, you know, it's just like anything. You have to just practice <laughs> and make mistakes. And, you know, kind of each time I do something, I feel like I'm always trying to figure out how I could do it a little bit better. Um, you know, every time I clean urchin every year, my process changes. And it's funny because my coworker's are like, every time she does it, it does it a little different. I'm like, yeah, because last time, you know, if I, only, if I did it this way, you know, the quality was better um, or it was faster, you know, more precise. Um, but I kind of... And I definitely enjoy that aspect of it. And I feel like if you don't, you know, kind of have that natural instinct, then, you know, it's definitely not <laughs> going to be your career. Um, but yeah, for me, you know, I, the sports aspect, you know, strangely mm. is very ties into, you know, kind of my success, I guess. That's sort of, <laughs>
1: yeah, that sort of uh, uh, endless, relentless repetition seems very japanese you know you watch uh-huh. that um you know jiro dreams of sushi uh-huh. and that that the just sort of the the precision around and the repetition around exactly what rice is and exactly how it should be cooked and exactly how it should be seasoned let alone all of the aspects um with the seafood um you're dealing with so few ingredients, right? And you just mm-hmm. have to nail every single one, the the proportions of them, the relations of them, the way, you know, the order in which they hit your tongue. That's really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's kind
2: of something that I guess I get routine, you get used to it. Um, but it always is changing. You know, it's not like I'm doing like I worked at a bakery where I was doing like and 20 pastries and sure. to stay yeah, focused yeah. mentally and do every single one the same and perfect is just very hard for me you'll just get a little frustrated you start to rush yourself you know get sloppy um but you know it's just there's like you know so i break down like two salmon um and then i move on to like a bunch of herring and then i so it's just this variety so feel like each time i do it you know there's something new to kind of focus on so it helps me you know i guess progress um
0: personally Um, right but it's yeah you're not like sitting there with with 50 salmon in a row and you need to fillet all of them in an mm -hmm. hour you know it's it's like these these ingredients are are, kind of they come by a few at a time and then and then they're you know they're off as far as a learning curve i imagine um I imagine that's got to be a little bit difficult, and really lends itself to having to pay attention because not only are the ingredients valuable, but the time you're going to spend with each one of those ingredients is also going to be valuable fleeting. too. Because it's uh-huh. yeah, it's fleeting. Yeah,
2: mm. yeah. I mean, it's it's fun. It's like it's kind of like a puzzle. You know, you get a fish and. Um, you know, like how long am I going to salt this? Um, how, if I'm going to salt it, am I going to use vinegar, um, kind of, am I going to wrap it in kombu or am I going to let it rest for a few days before I serve it? Um, you know, it just all changes. So, you know, every single thing, you know, there's this long kind of thought process as I'm cleaning it, you know, so it's it's easy to stay engaged. And then of course, you know, it's like you want to make things perfect because, you know, there's, it's such a simple cuisine that, any kind of error in your, you know, butchering of the fish or presentation, you know, can be you can't really cover it up. You can't just throw a right. bunch of
1: stuff on it. And, you're like, oh,
0: fine, and here's know. some soy, it's, a little wasabi and I'm out. Is.
1: Mariah, correct me if I'm wrong, but at least at your sushi counter, there is no no bottle of soy. There is no little mm-hmm. green dollop of of that, that that doesn't that doesn't happen.
2: No. Yeah we actually um you used to set all the tables with soy um, and then the uh, dishes that go with that. Um, and, you know, I'd watch people sit down without even ordering a thing and just pour soy sauce into the dish. I'm like, what are you mm-hmm. doing? You mm-hmm. haven't even ordered a drink yet. <laughs> you, you know, you just, it's just like this weird, like habit, you know. And then, so we yeah. make something that is, you know, seasoned, you know, how we want them to eat it. And they already have their soy sauce. and I have to like take this away like a child. Right. give me that you know oh. and they're like oh i want it so like, let not give it to uh, them at
1: all it's then, like you know, ketchup at a brunch like <laughs> oh my god please do not right. slop this orange goo all over my stuff. I, I mean mm.
2: i'm sure you've watched people salt and pepper their food without tasting it you know mm, like just mm-hmm. get a plate of whatever and start salting it and yeah. pepper, and put Tabasco everywhere. But you haven't <laughs> even tried it. I'm like sure. you don't even know <laughs> what that tastes like. You D- know, now it could taste horrible. So, you know, I think just trying to break that, like, um, kind of like I don't say tradition, but like these, um, like habits people have. Yeah, you know, of like yeah. oh, there's the you know there's the green paste. I got put that, mix it, and then I'm gonna put some ginger in here, mix that, and then. Yeah. I'm going to get this food and just let it sit in there and you know trying to like
0: just It's literally eat. how I eat sushi. She's, she's <laughs> Mariah's describing how I how I eat my, my rolls. tastes Me,
2: like soy sauce.
0: It, yes. it does. And wasabi, a good a good amount of wasabi yeah. there. Um I, you know I think I think in a way because uh, you know sushi is is kind of kind of fresh as far as like I, you know, grew up eating spaghetti. So I knew what my Mm -hmm. rituals are there. And then when you adapt a new food, you start building your, what makes you comfortable when you walk in? Oh, you know, it's almost like a soothing mechanism. And I see that with Mm -hmm. the wasabi and with the, with the soy sauce, when people come in, how they, how they get their uh, utensils ready, how they prepare their, you know, what they're going to eat with and everything, How, how they mix. It's like, you can watch their habits, um, uh, you know, forming and almost a soothing mechanism in a way.
2: Yes, it is. It's a little bit eerie when they essentially take the chopsticks, which we have, you know, uh, like ceramic or different various, but they're not wooden, <laughs> and right. they roll them back and forth. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, you're just totally. making noise. Uh-huh. You're, you're not, you know. <laughs> Even if you have the wooden chopsticks, like, do you even know what you're doing? Like, you just, like, someone did this and you do that. like, I don't, you know. Yeah. That's another
1: topic that I really want to touch on with the Umami podcast, which is this discomfort with food, especially when dining out. There is this pretense, I think, that um, people feel like they have to put forward when they order a bottle of wine or when they walk into a sushi restaurant um that sure. uh, they think tells everybody including the server that they know what they're doing there right mm-hmm. and I'm, they I'm miss in, out I'm on the
0: end. yeah
1: yeah yeah
2: yeah um we definitely you know like you said the punk rock vibe and just the the fact that you know when you walk in visually there's a very different you know look um you know workers wise um People, I think, you know, it kind of helps break that down, but I just, <laughs> I don't really know how to like, uh, I guess, break that kind of habit. So, I, I, I think, guess education.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. One, I think the environment that that you foster um, is incredible. It's very comfortable to walk in. And there's going to be uh, people around because the quality is incredible as well. Um, but it doesn't. It. It. it I don't feel or, and never felt intimidated getting inside there. And indeed, have had some good group parties. Um, and uh, it just it, the variety that's coming out and the environment that you, that you have there, and also the sake. Did I mention the sake that
1: mm, that helps?
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 that helps break down convention. No, it really is. It's a fantastic experience over there.
2: It, I definitely. It's weird because you know I like as far as talking about the pretentiousness or maybe the like kind of like assertiveness. I it's weird when I was younger. Definitely was a lot more of that. Like kind of attitude of like, have you been to Japan? Question was a lot of commonly asked. Um, mm. You know, just this kind of almost like interrogation of like who are you and why are you making my food? You, you know, Caucasian female. Um, sure. Do you know anything about sake? And as I've obviously gotten older, I don't know if it's just age or confidence. I definitely don't get those kind of pushback customers. And I'm super fortunate, you know, the servers might get a little more at the table. <laughs> um, Cause usually people treat the chefs different, which is unfortunate, but you know, I directly, you know, refreshingly haven't had that, but I, you know, Sometimes you'll get someone from out of state or you know not local, and they kind of try. And I, I feel like my answer is usually shut down. You know, those types of I guess
1: situations. Thankfully, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, shut them down. As in, just that's not what we do here. Yeah, Thanks I don't, for... I don't
2: try and fuel that. Like you know, I'm not gonna push back and say you know in a more aggressive. You know, just the way you can respond to people calmly or you know maybe ask a question kind of change you know it kind of throws their brain a little bit and Mm -hmm. then they just kind of relax and they're like you know what just gonna let this person you know feed me and give me some alcohol and and actually you really see them start to like enjoy themselves and like get into the experience so you know win them over slowly and
1: it's worked (laughs) (laughs) quite well so it's a real art and i I think I've witnessed it (laughs) being at your restaurant. (laughs) Yes.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, education is such a a big thing. And I really, you know, love that aspect is, you know, just teaching people stuff, you know. And I think Mm. once people get excited to learn new things, then they kind of stop trying to be, you know, a little bit of a know it all and everything and just have, you know, a good time, you know.
0: Mm. (laughs) That's great. That's what it's all about. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I hope. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a great, a great place to end it, Mariah. Um, mm,
2: so, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, we, we certainly appreciate your time. Thanks for doing it. Absolutely. Um,
2: yeah, it was fun.
0: What do you think about that? Uh, sustainability and Mariah's approach and Mashiko's appro- approach to, to sushi. I mean, are we going there for, are we going there for another field trip or what?
1: Can we please make a field trip of that? I was there last week, and with with Jeff, and I loved it. It was, yeah. I it's it is, it's very straightforward. There's no bullshit. There's no fluff. No pomp and circumstance. Yeah. Not to say that it's Spartan. You know, it isn't. It feels like a family restaurant. Yeah, almost. And, and
0: you know, aesthetically, you walk in there, and it, it has kind of this dampened clean feel to it. You know, there's there's um it's it's almost like the perfect lighting for your meal at your wherever you get seated in that place. I get you know, it just looks beautiful. It almost focuses everything on you, who you're there with and the meal you're gonna have, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah but field
0: know. trip there. And I was seeing so many parallels between what she was saying on this micro scale and then on the macro scale of what's happening in the oceans you know just maybe maybe it's just laying right there in front of us you know um, uh, the the diminishing supply the careful treatment of how to distribute it and then the appreciation of when you can have that because for some of this stuff it, maybe it is going to be be
1: around for a long time yeah yeah i agree the thing is like should we be eating anything that comes out of the ocean at this point it's a question that we need to be asking, and we're studying the state of sustainable seafood. This has got to be a part of it.
0: At least this episode wasn't the first one that we recorded, but it was the first one we chose to put out there, and I think it hit a lot of the key subjects we want to address with this podcast, and we didn't even know we wanted to talk mm-hmm. about at the beginning of. Oh,
1: delicious, this conversation was. I think the thing we didn't realize is that. What we want to do here is just talk to really intelligent people who have spent a lifetime learning about a particular thing, and Mariah is exactly that. she's spent more than two decades learning about Japanese cuisine and learning about seafood, and how lucky to get to dive so deep with her in this in this conversation
0: So who are we going to talk to next?
1: Well. We are going to talk to Krishnendu Ray, who is a professor at New York University, NYU, in their Gastronomical Studies program, and talk about passion. This guy has been teaching for a really long time. Gastronomical Studies is older than you would imagine. He's written several books, and his study has been about how we treat ethnic cuisine in this society. What a fascinating topic ethnic, the word ethnic is fraught with complication. And then we assign these values to different cuisines. And he has really studied what that is. And I mean, studied, not just like written about research, but also done scientific studies where he's taken numbers from things like zagat surveys over, over 10 years.
0: And yeah, zagat surveys are accurate. <laughs> I remember loving this conversation and I think you will too.
1: Yes. The Umami Podcast is produced by TNE Networks. Find us anywhere you get podcasts and on Instagram at The Umami Podcast. Also, don't forget to check out our website where you can find tons more resources about today's subject. While you're there, consider supporting us with a small monthly donation or one time gift. And please tell a friend about us.
0: You're listening to the TNE Network.